Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. Hi, Deirdre. Hi, Robbie. So we're in our third segment looking at national political issues. And Mm -hmm. what was the name of this segment that you had? My Chemical or Organic Romance. I love it. (laughs) So in the past couple of weeks, we've had a couple of big news stories as it relates to a national pharmacare plan. And the Liberals established an advisory council on implementation of the National Pharmacare Plan. And that was headed up by Dr. Eric Hoskins, who is a former Ontario Liberal MPP and health minister. Mm-hmm. And he came forward with a recommendation that the federal government establish a National Pharmacare Plan that would be phased in over the course of approximately seven, seven and a half years. So it wouldn't be fully implemented until 2027. Mm-hmm. And then we had the NDP with leader Jagmeet Singh, who has proposed a national pharma care plan that would be implemented next year if he was to form government, which seems rather <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, and I'm not sure that that a seven-year implementation plan is much better. Like, no. as far as, like, like, why why would that take so long? <clears throat> uh, well, I think part of the challenge is that in order to do it, you really have to work with the provinces because Health Canada does facilitate some purchase of drugs, but it's largely driven by the provinces right now they determine what drugs are on their registry or their their list quote unquote right and um to harmonize that across the country is going to take some negotiation and work with each of the health departments in the provincial governments and to get alignment as you know with all of the provinces can be quite a challenge (laughs) right yeah (laughs) So, I don't know that they actually need alignment so much as they just need data, do they not? Uh, like, in my mind. Well, I, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest, because, mm. you know, you've got some conservatives that are pushing for more private delivery of healthcare in the provinces, and this kind of flies counter to that, and you're looking at adding a significant amount of expense to the healthcare system as a, as a whole. Um, So Hoskins projection, his conservative projection for the total cost of this, once it's fully implemented would be $15 billion (laughs) per year. I thought that it was a one-time expense. No, no, no. It's ongoing because 
if this program was implemented, basically what would happen is you, let's say you get pneumonia or bronchitis and you get a prescription for some antibiotics or, or some uh, drugs, you would go into your pharmacist, you would take the prescription in and you would walk out, you would pay nothing. And that would apply to everybody. So basically what would be happening is the government would then be invoiced for the cost of those drugs and they would pay the cost versus you or your healthcare plan paying for it. So basically the government would be picking up the tab. So the whole idea behind this is that you move to a single payer system and you're able to leverage some economies of scale. And if you're purchasing drugs on a national level, you should be able to get a better price and find some more, I'll say better cost, more economical business case for purchasing those drugs. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a larger amount of leverage, obviously, to be able to dictate what the price is. Because at the end of the day, if Health Canada is the only purchaser of that drug, they get to say whether or not it comes in. So it certainly gives them some leverage over the drug companies to charge the prices they would like to. That's true. And they did. uh, But of course, the goal of the plan would be even if it costs $15 billion a year, would be to see a reduction in the cost to the rest of the healthcare system, right? Yep. It's both prevention and healthcare. Yeah. And in Dr. Hoskins' report, he does his estimate is $5 billion in savings in emergency wards. So a problem with people, particularly uh, people who are in poverty or people with chronic health conditions is sometimes they don't get their medicines because they can't afford it or they don't have a drug plan that covers it. And so those issues, those chronic issues become larger issues that require medical intervention. Right. And so the idea would be that if you encourage and make it so that people can access drugs for chronic conditions or health issues before they escalate, you divert those people from going into the emergency care system, which in which the costs are significantly higher. Right. So and the, you, go oh, ahead. Um, yeah, I was just thinking of uh, diabetes is mm-hmm. definitely one that people really struggle with because it is because it's a it's an ongoing cost that will never go away right they they will have to manage it in whatever way they do and like my mom ended up with uh type 2 i guess so the one where she can manage it with her diet but you know the test strips it's a dollar a strip and so for her to like start testing her blood and stuff she had to go spend that money because she wasn't covered on a plan and or maybe she was I don't remember but she's there's still an out-of-pocket cost and she was like you know um she couldn't she kept forgetting how to test so she kept wrecking the strips um and so for someone that forgets things like that, uh, it can actually be kind of expensive, the amount of strips that they would go through. So I remember her saying at the time that if she, that she was glad she didn't have to keep up with it. Like it was just, it was just something she needed to do for about a month so that they could see if the medication was working. Um, but she said, if I had to 
keep buying these things. She said that would be like that would be an expense with her other medication that she just she was like, I wouldn't do it. I can't afford mm-hmm. it. So to me, I I really see that opportunity for the prevention and people to accept uh, to access that preventative medicine or whatever it is that they need. I do see that coming in at a higher uh, cost savings. And I don't think it would take that long, not as long as some preventative measures. Yeah. One of the things from Hoskins report that stood out to me that I think that they need to, if they, if they're genuinely committed to doing this, they need to play up is that on average, it will save a family about $350 annually. Mm -hmm. So yes, of course, taxes are going to go up or, well, they're going to have to go up in order to pay for it. Um, But corporations who currently provide medical plans, uh, drug coverage plans to their employees, on average, it'll save them $750 per employee per year. Oh, wow. So like in my company, we probably have, I would say, 80 to 100 people that have a a drug coverage plan plus Mm -hmm. spouses that are covered as well. And dependents. And dependents, et cetera. So, you know, let's say conservatively there's 200 people that are covered at $750 Mm -hmm. um you know that's $150,000 that's there's a huge incentive to have that coverage and in terms of red tape for business and in terms of reducing the cost for entrepreneurs to me that's the message that needs to be communicated and the piece that they're missing there Mm mm-hmm yeah, that actually makes sense. And it also kind of makes sense why the NDP isn't using that right now. But it would be something that would be available for the Liberals, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, and one of the criticisms of the Liberals is that they campaign from the left and govern from the right. But if you, <laughs> I mean, if that's what people say you're doing, why not just go all in, right? So Right. <laughs> and really, this is... In my view, even though there is a significant price tag to it, um, that's how you get people that tend to be a little bit more conservative on your side is you make the fiscal case for why it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And especially, uh, you know, to businesses, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, uh, I know that Ontario is doing the same thing. Pardon me. I know that Alberta is also looking at how do we save businesses money so again the there is a conservative business case for us or sorry for a national pharmacare program yeah so i think that's something that that they're definitely missing out on there yeah part of the challenge as well is that the implementation of this um because the provinces are responsible for drug purchasing and healthcare delivery. In order to implement this, you either have to get all the provinces on chart on side to making significant changes to the way that health transfers are handled, mm. or what you're going to need to do is you're going to administer this plan through the equalization program and the through the transfers program. 
And we all know how contentious that has been in Alberta. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of pitfalls in terms of how you get to yes on this mm-hmm. for the Liberals and for the NDP. Um, because when you start to have that conversation about the federal transfers and funding, and one of the things that stood out, like the costs in order to fund Newfoundland, for example, to have them be able to implement this, it was approximately $799,800 per capita. And Newfoundland has a significantly older population. Mm -hmm. And you've got other provinces where it would be somewhere on the order of about $300. And so... Like Alberta, with our young population. Yeah, so that's going to exacerbate the rhetoric around. And so if you were to just set one flat per capita rate across the country, and you were to set it at the same rate that you were looking at providing to Newfoundland, you would essentially be doubling the cost of this right yeah okay i okay i see i see where we're starting to get you know into maybe a seven-year plan (laughs) yeah I, i think that that's kind of um this report wasn't authored by the liberals but eric hoskins is a liberal and i think that he kind of recognizes the political reality of it Mm -hmm. um now the ndp's approach appears to be you know rip the band-aid off and make it happen and whether or not that's smarter um i'm kind of of the belief that when you do things incrementally you're more likely to have it implemented sustainably and to have it last long term but I've been wrong before. Yeah. And I mean, there are some cons to it as well. Like I, when I, when I first heard of it, I'm thinking, okay, yes, I understand how this might save money. But one of the things I was really curious about was, uh, was opioid abuse. We've already Mm -hmm. got a problem with it. And right now, many of those people would be, you know, putting some payment towards it what what happens if no one has to pay for it any longer what does like what happens i guess with with addictions and and things like that because sometimes you know doctors will work with someone who maybe can't afford the prescription so they'll try and find you know other ways to manage their pain uh i guess you could say more of a holistic approach if if people if someone with a chronic illness says, you know, I, yes, I work, I don't really have a good drug plan. I can't afford this. So would that stop? That's a really good question. And I'm not quite sure that I have an answer to that, to be honest. Um, You know, uh, I guess in order to answer that, maybe we would need to look at other jurisdictions or countries that do have a single healthcare um, payer kind of model Mm because I know Canada is the only one who has a national health program that doesn't include a single payer drug plan right and um, so I think definitely that we could take a look at maybe doing some research and seeing what the experience of those other countries has been Mm -hmm. Um, because 
I was just going to say, which is something that we should be doing with everything to do with our healthcare plan. But. Yep. No, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, it, for sure, it's something that I think is going to be a, a topic of discussion during the election. Mm-hmm. The part of the problem for the liberals is politically, they promise to be back to balance with the budget by the end of this term. And they're right. still running 20 billion plus deficits with mm-hmm. no real plan to get back to balance. So that's where the conservatives are going to hammer away on this. And, you know, the liberals are saying, or their panel is saying that the cost is going to be somewhere around $15 billion a year. Okay. What the conservatives are going to do is they're going to say, well, the liberals promised modest $10 billion deficit and it came in somewhere around 30, 40. If they're promising this is going to be 15 billion, is it going to be 45 or 60 per year? And that becomes really hard to sell politically, I think, even to um, progressive people. Right. No, I I definitely agree with that. And and again, you know, it's it comes down to the research. It comes down to actually getting that evidence together and putting forward the case to say, like, look, we've we have the information. This is what this is what we would be looking at. And I can also see, again, you know, pushing something that seven years, if you have to do the research kind of by province as well, and looking at what it would, what it would take because of those provinces with the older populations, um, you know, how long, like, what are those older populations? Is this a is this a program that's actually going to, you know, shift over to Alberta getting up there when our population, uh, when our average age increases? Because we're right now we're still under 40. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's definitely going to be a looming crisis in Alberta, particularly given the current cost per capita, even though we are the youngest or second youngest province in the Confederation, we have one of the highest per capita costs. And so as we age, that's going to become really problematic. And that's why you see the UCP government currently taking some steps to force a decrease in the compensation costs that go to public servants, because Mm -hmm. they are trying to force that cost curve lower to actually help make the healthcare system more sustainable in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. No easy answers. That's for sure though. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that I have much more to add to that at this time. Yeah. It'll definitely (laughs) be something to watch as we go through the election campaign. So our fourth segment, which will be coming up here right away. Do you have a title for it? I do. It's called midday oil. (laughs) midday oil all right (laughs) so we'll be back with that segment here shortly thanks for joining us for this episode this has been the political r&d podcast with robbie krieger smith and deirdre mitchell mclean where can people find you deirdre they can find me on twitter at mitchell underscore ab and you can find me online at rks alberta the political r&d podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political RND. Goodbye, Robbie. Goodbye, Deirdre.